Have you ever noticed that when you talk about God in general, most people don't get too worked up about it? If you just, you know, talk about God in general, the idea of God is kind of, kind of nebulous, kind of neutral. So when you bring up God, it doesn't get people too worked up. But you talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus Christ, and all bets are off, right? So you talk about God in general out there. We've been doing that for the last couple of months. We've been talking about proving the existence of God, you know? And, you know, yeah, I believe there's a God. But when you start to talk about Jesus Christ, in, outside the church especially, all bets are off. Like him or not, believe him in him or not, he is the most influential figure to ever walk the earth in recorded history. So that begs the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? On the subject, my friend Anne-Marie writes, it's pretty easy to dismiss many of the claims regarding Jesus. She, I, I love her so much. She just really pushes my buttons. This is only a small portion of what she wrote to me. Virgin, vir, uh, virgin miraculous birth, the so-called miracles of the resurrection in particular, the Trinity, and more specifically, the divinity of Jesus, Jesus being God. So that's her take on it. But how can we learn? If we're talking about who is Jesus, how can, we, how can we learn the truth about this dynamic historical figure? Many people, when you want to find out who Jesus is, they look to secular sources. They'll, they'll go to more secular sources and, and, and they'll read, in a sense, read between the lines and, and speculate, in my opinion, using questionable history. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I'll give you a great example. Wait until, wait until around Christmas and, and always around Easter and watch the Discovery Channel, right? Right? Discovering the real Jesus, looking into the real Jesus, figuring out who the real, in search of the real Jesus. That's what they'll tell you. Because they end up, from, from my perspective, again, using questionable history, finding experts and speculating and reading between the lines. So where do you turn to for the truth? Now, I would submit to you this morning that the best place to learn uh, about Jesus Christ, the, to be honestly, to be intellectually honest, the best place to search out who is Jesus would be to go to the first books written about him and those who were closest to him at the time of his life. I think that would be intellectually honest, to go first to the books that were written about him by the people who were closest to him. That's the best way to go about that. Wouldn't it make more sense that the disciples would know more about Jesus' life and what he said and what he did and how he lived than some expert 2,000 years later on the Discovery Channel? Honestly. I mean, I'm not trying to be facetious or funny or sarcastic. I'm, I'm being honest, logical, rational, reasonable. Isn't it more reasonable to believe that disciples who were there with him who would, would have more information, more accurate information about who Jesus was and how he lived and what he said than, than some expert they pull out of the air somewhere for some college or university that can't stand Jesus in the first place, and that person's going to tell us 2,000 years later what Jesus said and who Jesus was. Would it make more sense, uh, you know what, does it make more sense for me, Jeff Greer, to say that I, I know more about George Washington, I could write a, a better, more accurate book about George Washington, I could tell you about his passions and what he liked and didn't like and stories about him and all that kind of thing better than his own wife, Martha. Me and GW were close, man, I'm telling you, you know what I'm saying, the, the whole thing? We were close, we were tight, we were tight. 
And I, of course, I know 200 and some odd years later more about George Washington's life than, than, than the people actually fought with him or, or his, his, the people, his wife who lived with him. I could say I know more about that because I've read, I've read a lot of books about George Washington and I, and I know a lot about George Washington. And especially, I'll tell you what, if I don't like George Washington very much and I want to prove George Washington wasn't a great man, then get me on Discovery Channel and I'll tell you all about George Washington. So let's look at Jesus' life. Let's look a little bit about the brief history of Jesus. Let me start with Jesus coming, you know, and his, obviously his birth coming to earth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. He was born in a very small, obscure town, Bethlehem, to a virgin uh, teenage mother, Mary. And uh, right away, okay, we got the supernatural. It's obviously a supernatural birth if she was a virgin. But isn't that the point? I mean, if we're talking about God here, people say, well, how, I love this. How could, how could somebody look at the genetics and how could someone be born of a virgin? Okay, if you don't believe in God, that's a really tough one for you, okay? If you... <laughs> But, you know, you've got to think about this, again, rationally and logically and even intellectually. If you do believe there is a God, I think that God, God taking care of, you know, Virgin Mary having Jesus is not too difficult when you're talking about the, creating the universe and everything else, all right? So the, the, there is, it is supernatural, no question. I don't deny it. I'll argue to the day I die about it. We'll get into these discussions later on about the virgin birth. We're going to go through, leading up to Christmas, I'm going to go through a lot of these arguments that people give against the virgin birth and Jesus Christ and his deity, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But, uh, you know, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, and in Matthew it says, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, before I move on, I just think this is really interesting. If you like mathematics, probabilities and everything. There were over 300 prophecies that Jesus, in the Old Testament, about the Messiah, okay, that Jesus Christ fulfilled. If, if you take just eight, just eight of them, eight, not 80, 80, just eight, okay? You take eight of those. The chances, the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight of those prophecies by luck, Okay, just by luck, would be like taking Texas, filling Texas four feet deep with silver dollars, the entire state. I then get up in a plane, I paint one silver dollar red, and I flick it out the window of the plane, and it lands somewhere in Texas. Clink, 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 there it is. Then I blindfold you, and you have one chance, okay, to go in Texas and be like, woohoo, Eureka, I found it, okay? That's the chances. That's the mathematical probability, which is basically the number, you know, one of the numbers go on forever. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight of those prophecies, okay, just by sheer luck. So Isaiah 7.14 says, the virgin will be, give, give birth to a child, we'll call him Emmanuel. His adopted father, Joseph, was a carpenter. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived a pretty quiet, more sheltered uh, life, out of the spotlight, um, not much notoriety until his public ministry. He never held a political office. He never traveled to a large city. He never wrote a book. I know some of you are thinking right now, well, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He wrote the Bible. Okay, I give you that one, okay? <laughs> you want to be theological about it, but I'm saying he never actually sat down and wrote, you know, the, you know, the memoirs of Jesus, you know what I'm saying, his own little book about what he thought about, whatever, a, dog, a book on dogs or something. He didn't write any of those kinds of books. He, didn't never, he, never, he never wrote a book. Now, regardless also, I'm so disappointed in Opie on this one, uh, regardless of what Ron Howard says, okay, 
Jesus was never married, okay? Nor is there any legitimate evidence to say the opposite, okay? Uh, this is, this whole, you know, Da Vinci Code and all this kind of thing, there is, Jesus was never married, and there is no legitimate evidence except, wait a second, I think George Washington was blah, 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 and I know a secret society of people that I have this, and they said that, and they're, ooh, let's make a movie. That's about it, my friends. There is absolutely, positively, no, no, no credible evidence whatsoever that Jesus Christ was married. You know why? Because he wasn't. He wasn't. But this is important also. This is important for, for those of you who may be new, a little bit new and everything. The important thing for those outside of the church, for those who don't believe in God, the most important thing for them to do is to just, you don't have to attack Jesus and call him names. You just have to get him off the throne. You just have to, you just have to move him down one little notch. He's a prophet. He's a great guy. He's this. He was nice. He was sweet. He was wonderful. You just have to, but he wasn't God. Okay, he wasn't born of a virgin. He, he, he got married, you know, but I've heard even worse stories about Jesus and all this kind of thing. But all they need to do is kind of pull him off the, just get him to come off the throne a little bit. And that, that basically wipes out Christianity. We're not, we, don't, we don't come to church on Sunday mornings because Jesus was a good guy, because Jesus was a nice guy, because Jesus was a prophet, because Jesus was a good teacher. None of us are here because of that. If that's all he was, Pack up your bags, take your stuff, and go now because that is the biggest waste of time. His death on the cross was not sufficient if he wasn't God, okay? So that's important to understand when he's being ridiculed or belittled or just taken down a notch. You know, these other little cults and things like that. Well, Jesus was wonderful. He's a part of our whole little scape, our landscape here, but he just wasn't God. It's a big, important reason to understand that he was, he was God and why it's important to understand he was God. So he was 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And in that three, the three years that he spent, that short three years, he completely shaped humanity. No one in all of history has had the impact on the world to the degree that Jesus Christ did and still does. And still does. The most influential, powerful person who ever walked the planet. Even our years reflect his life. B.C., before Christ. A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, okay? The year of our Lord. B.C. and A.D., they're the, they're, they basically reflect our time, our calendar, our years. Everything is revolving around Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most famous person to ever walk the earth. There are more books written about him, more, 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 uh, more pictures painted of him, more songs written and sung about him than any other person in the history of the world. So again, it goes to the question. We have to ask the question once more that, that with that backdrop. Who is Jesus? Now, our, our culture will, will, will ha has its own ideas of who Jesus is. Our culture is all over the place when it comes to Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. They're focused on him. All these thousands of years later, they are still focused on Jesus Christ. Some of the top grossing movies in recent years are about Jesus Christ. Some good, some not so good. The Passion of the Christ, okay, is one. Like I mentioned before, the Da Vinci Code is another. It's clear that Jesus remains a culturally dominant figure even to this day. He is, he is often the subject of and ridiculed by our pop culture. 
I mean, you, you can't watch, you can't almost see anything without, you know, if you watch long enough on TV, whatever else, you're going to see Jesus Christ coming up. Here's a couple of statistics or just fun items about culture and Jesus Christ. You know, over 60% of the ultimate fighting champions, you know, those all bare-fisted tough guys, over 60% of those guys claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. They, you know, they, they do. They go in the ring and they say, they pray before, I, I, I'm going to kill you, but I just want to pray for you beforehand. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. But you know what? Praise God, brother. I hope you survive. That's what they, they pray. They pray for each other. You know what I mean? Well, you figure 60% of them, they're going to come together at some point. And, you know, the Christians are going to match up against Christians. So they're praying for each other before they beat each other to a pieces. So 60% of the ultimate fighting champions are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been on the cover, or, you know, pictures of Jesus, on the cover of Time magazine 22 times and, and, and multiple times on the cover of Newsweek. Now, if you read Time Magazine or Newsweek, um, those great pub publications, what they're going to end up telling you is they're going to get some obscure, or it doesn't matter, some, some person in a college. It, it's probably the I Hate Jesus University. And they get that person from I Hate Jesus University, and they put them in the article. And you know what's interesting to me? This always bugs me when people do this, whether, whether it's one side or the other. They get some, quote, expert Okay, what does that mean? You're an expert on Jesus. And they get some expert on Jesus, and they get to flapjaw the entire article, and they never have anyone else come in and challenge that person's views in the article. Have any of you ever seen that, the, the, the uh, Discovery Channel thing that we never went to the moon on the fact that we didn't go to the moon? Anybody see it? Come on, raise your hand. You sat and watched it, right? Man, by, half, by, by three quarters of the way through, you're thinking, did we really go to the moon? I mean, you're <laughs> they're kind of getting you, but then your logic takes over, and here's what always gets me. They didn't have one person from NASA, okay, that was debating the person saying, if we went through the, these, you know, these, this part of the, the Earth's atmosphere, you'd be z zapped and all this kind of stuff. They'd have never made it and blah, 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 until you, you, you look at that and you think, boy, they, maybe we didn't go to the moon, okay? But the reality is, when, you, when I saw another show, that a history channel or something, where they had the NASA people on there explaining away all the things they were talking about, shadows and all this kind of thing, and it made complete sense. You know, when you go, when you're in a court case, when the, when the prosecution gets up and lays the case out, you're thinking, this guy is toast. It's over. Look at all the facts they have until the defense gets up. That's what always bothers me about these articles about Jesus. They always get people who, they, either, they get these incredible, uh, you know, experts to say one thing, and then they maybe get some token guy who doesn't know what he's talking about, say something else about Jesus, but it's, it's just not honest. He is marginalized and ridiculed on shows like The Simpsons or, or South Park, where he's seen battling it out with Satan or something like this. And you think, oh, that's kind of funny. Yeah, they're just, be, they're just being funny. Again, it's, it's ridiculing and marginalizing Jesus. And again, all you have to do is just bring him down a notch. Just get him, knock, knock him down a few notches. That's what you need to do. You know, it's amazing. I'll keep going back and forth, but from a marketing standpoint, whenever Jesus is on the cover of a magazine, the sales go up to, up to 45%. When the Bible is put on the cover of a magazine, it goes up to 51%. The marketing, the sales go up, 51, up to 51%. In the past years, magazines such as Wired or Popular Mechanics have had Jesus uh, on, the, on their covers as well as a lot of other magazines. They just, our culture really is in a lot of ways enamored with Jesus. And a lot of times, again, to ridicule or to prove that he's not who he said he was, but they're pretty much enamored with him. 
Who can forget Madonna? You remember, not, not, the, not the one we're talking about, but Madonna, Madonna, the singer, with her bleeding palms in her video, or her mock crucifixion up on stage in her video or at her concerts. You know, it's just, it, it, it's incredible. Uh, Nirvana also uh, shot a video with Kurt Cobain uh, on a cross, you know, hanging on a cross. Rappers like Kanye West appear in, uh, in, uh, in magazines, and, and one, one of the magazines, Rolling Stone, it has, it has him on the, on the cover with a crown of thorns on his head. And the, the caption is the, you know, the, passion, uh, the passion of Kanye. You can't, you can't go to an award ceremony, okay, without hearing some actor or, or some artist or an athlete when they say, well, you know, give, an, give you know, a response, they get the award and the award ceremony, what do they say? I want to thank God, I want to thank Jesus, I want to, you know, no matter where it is, no matter what genre of music you're coming from or athletics or art or whatever, uh, they want to thank Jesus Christ. Also, this is very interesting. Jesus is one of the most popular tattoos that people ask for. He is. Want to see minus right now? <laughs> no, he is. I mean, Jesus is one of the most popular tattoos. I know if, if you go on the, the popularity of a tattoo, Jesus Christ, he's right up there. The cross is one that is the most, the most popular symbol in the history of the world. And regardless of what music style you like, the industry is completely infatuated by it. Whether they're wearing it upside down, which I think is kind of rude and obnoxious, or right side up. They can't display it enough on the bling, on the whatever. I mean, there's just the cross is everywhere. And every, every area of music, no matter what kind of music you like, those guys are always wearing the cross. Deb and I, when we were in youth ministry, we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we had like a thing about building relationships with people from different subcultures. And I remember coming out of, the, out of Walmart one time, and this guy was walking through with these other folks, and uh, they were different. And um, this guy had tattoos from like the side of his face all the way down his body. He had a short sleeve shirt on. His whole arm was tattooed. And I couldn't help it. I love talking to people like that. My, so here he come out, and Deb's like, oh, no, here he goes again. So I walk up to them, and I'm like, hey, you look different. You know, and I start talking. <laughs> I started talking to him, and I said, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm studying youth culture, and I would love to, to kind of talk to you. I don't, have to, I don't have to tell you what I believe. I just want to hear what you believe and what your thoughts are, because they were punks. You know what I mean? I'm not saying punks, and they were punks. They were actually a punk band. They were a different – this guy had the coolest beard. It sucked like straight out like a little cone. It went right to a cone. You know what I mean? So, so he, he invited us. I, I asked the elders in the church we were a part of. I, that I told the elders we're going to go to this bar called Sudsy Malone's in downtown Cincinnati because that's where this band was playing. So we tried. Deb and I tried our best to dress down. Oh, man. <laughs> and then we stuck out, okay? And as the night wore on, it got like uh, worse and worse. How, what I'm saying, us sticking out, got worse and worse. People came in in masks. It was all kinds of bedlam. So we, we waited for this band to come on. And the band came on, and they had a picture of Jesus upside down on the stage. I knew it was going to be bad once that I saw that. And then they were singing songs about Jesus, and then the guy would use foul language, and he would take Smarties. You know those Smartie candies? And this is not a, it's not like I'm throwing Smarties at you. You're a little further away. I mean, there are people right here. And the guy is like whipping Smarties at people in the front row, and people are getting pelted by Smarties. And it was, it was wild. It was really wild. I said, praise Jesus. And no, no, I didn't. No, I, didn't. <laughs> I was like, I didn't get any Smarties, you bum. Um, 
Uh, I'm a Christian, that's why. He knew I wasn't. He wasn't living smarties at me. Uh, for different reasons, Jesus is as popular now as he ever was in our culture. The problem is that our culture has absolutely no idea who Jesus is. They have no idea who he was. They have no idea who he is. You know, uh, it's, an, it's amazing, but Jesus Christ can. Jesus can really impact the lives of every culture or subculture. That's why I studied subcultures, because once I understood the subculture, I knew Jesus Christ, and I knew that Jesus would apply to that subculture. He would reach into that subculture. When Jesus walked the earth, Jesus understood people, and he could speak to them where they were, tax collectors and Pharisees and Sadducees, the rich, the poor, the afflicted, government officials, didn't matter. Jesus had the same message, but a different approach depending on who he was talking to. We need to understand our culture and our subcultures, and we need to understand and even more so, who Jesus is. You and I need to understand who Jesus is so we can present Jesus Christ to a culture that so desperately needs him because they have no idea who he is. And the only reason they do upside-down crosses and upside-down Jesus is because all they're doing is trying to be cool. They're trying to be tough. What's the best way to get your parents ticked off? Turn a picture of Jesus upside down. You know what I mean? That'll show what a mean, obnoxious, nasty, you know, un, un, you know, godly whatever person I am. I'm going to wear my cross upside down. That's why they do it. It's just to show how intense and how wild and how anar they're anarchists and all those kinds of things. But they don't know who he is. And, and if we don't know who he is, then how are we going to explain who he is to those outside of the church body? So let's talk about a little bit about who Jesus really is. When we think of Jesus Christ, two things need to be addressed, okay? Two things that are extremely important. You've got to put these two together in your brain. Right brain, left brain, put them all together, okay? One is the exaltation, and one is the incarnation. The exaltation of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully God he is God, and he is fully man. That's where you find so much of the debate about him, because Jesus is fully God and fully man. So let's look first at his incarnation, that Jesus is fully man. When many people today look at Jesus Christ, they focus most of their attention, most of it, they fo on, on the incarnation, the fully man part. But, but if those two truths... Are, are, are not properly balanced, it will distort the reality of who he is. If you don't, if you don't properly balance fully God and fully man, it's going to distort the reality of who he is. Now, this is important because the fully man part is important. I, I'm going to pick on it a little bit as we go forward here. Not pick on it, but pick on our, our, the way we present it, okay? But it's important, it's important that we understand that, he was, that, that Jesus Christ was fully man because we have to embrace the fact that he came to earth, that he suffered for us, that he came to identify with us, that, that he came to serve us, that he set an example for us, that Jesus Christ is fully man. It's important that he was here, that he literally came to this earth for us. That's important. But we also don't want to lose the glory of his deity, his exaltation. Again, two together. In John chapter 1, and verse 14, it's, it teaches us this. Listen, the word became flesh. The word is Jesus Christ, okay? The word became flesh. And if you have your pen, write this down, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He became flesh, came down, made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only who has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is critical. This is critical to explain and understand the person of Jesus Christ, that he was fully man. You have to have that down. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Without a belief that Jesus really came down to earth and suffered and died on the cross for us, there is no salvation. So that's important that Jesus actually came here as a man, lived on this earth, and died. That's important for salvation. Now, if you've ever wondered why Grace Chapel has such a passion um, to, to, to reach out and, and make a difference in other people's lives, reach out to African places like that, if you ever wonder why Grace Chapel is so concerned about the least, the last, and the lost, wonder no more, okay, this morning. If you ever thought, why is our church so into uh, the, the least, the last, and the lost? Why are we so, why is that so important to Grace Chapel? This is where we, this is where we, we, we find our passion and desire for social, to overcome social injustice. And this is where we get our, our desire for care ministries. It's where all, most all good churches get their desires from. It's because Jesus Christ set an example, a perfect man come to earth and set a perfect example for us to follow. And how did he live his life? That is why we reach out to the inner cities. That's why we go overseas and preach the gospel and, and help people visit with their physical needs in Africa and India and Mexico. That's why we do that, because we're the incarnation. What was Jesus like when he was here, and how can I be like him? That's great. It really is. That's where you, the churches get their passion to fight social injustice and their, their mercy ministries or care ministries. But the story doesn't end there, okay? This, again, back and forth. The story doesn't end there. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even begin there. It doesn't even begin there. Before we get to John chapter 1, verse 14, we need to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It flows together. What does it say in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3? In the beginning, in the beginning, okay, before all this, was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. Now you're going to be, one day you're going to hear a knock on your door, and it's going to be a Jehovah's Witness, and you're going to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and they'll say, well, Jesus wasn't God, and you'll say, yes, he was. It says right there, a pastor told me in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they're going to say, because they're taught this, no, that in, it really what it says is the Word was a God. Okay, I had someone say it to me one time, and I said, no, no, it's, it's uppercase G, it's not lowercase G, and there's no A there. It is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, it wasn't. I said, yes, it was. Go back and study the original Greek, and that's what you're going to find. I went back just for the intellectual discussion of it, and went back and studied it again. It is uppercase G, there's no lowercase G, it's not a God. The person got so frustrated, they said, well, I am Greek. And I said, well, that doesn't help your cause if you're Greek, you know what I mean? I'm German, Irish, and Indian, and Scottish. Doesn't help me, you know, to know those things. But isn't lowercase g? It's uppercase g. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without Him, nothing was made that had been made. He was with God in the beginning. In Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through nineteen. I could read these passages, just so you know. These aren't some obscure passages I'm pulling out of context, and they're found somewhere in the Bible. I could spend the next two hours reading you passages about Jesus Christ being God. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn over all creation. For him, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the, the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. If that's not clear enough for you, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. That's not obscure. That's clear. And some people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's just Christians that say that, and they move things around. Jesus never claimed to be God. Holy moly. I'm going to give you one verse, and I can give you tons. John 8, 58 and 59. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. And then it says they picked up stones to stone him, and he hid himself away. All right? Now, number one, I am. And then it says, right after he says, I am, they pick up stones to stone him. And your question would be, number one, what, is, what does I am mean? That doesn't say he's God. And number two, why do they pick up stones to stone him? I, that, that's kind of overreacting, isn't it? No, it was not. When you understand the context of why he was saying it when he said it. Every time you hear Jesus say, I am, it's the same reason. Let me read you the context. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 explains it. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. They didn't, under, they didn't misunderstand anything. When Jesus in the Bible says your sins are forgiven, that's not like me saying, I forgive you. I forgive you, Bob. I forgive you. That's not, that's not the same thing. I can forgive. I, Bob can forgive me. I can forgive Bob. That doesn't, that's just like two Christians saying that. Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins? God. And when he says that, what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him. Every time the poor guy walked around, he said every word. They pick up stones to stone him. He's chased around by people with stones all the time. Why? Because they said, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God from beginning to end. No question about it. It's not something Christians conjured up in their minds. Jesus Christ himself claims to be God. That's why we believe he's God. Jesus came now into culture, okay? So Jesus comes into culture. He came into the community as a Jew in Palestine. So we have this man who comes into culture, who comes into community as a Jew in Palestine. He ate what they ate. He, he understood, he understood the, the, the culture. He understood the, the different traditions. He spoke the language. But Jesus Christ, was he, was he was more than that. He was culturally and racially Jewish. But Jesus Christ, even though he was a part of the culture, Jesus Christ transcended culture because Jesus Christ entered into relationship with, Jesus Christ reached out to those who were marginalized in that culture, those who were pushed aside in that culture like prostitutes. I mean, back then, I'm telling you, I mean, it was the idea that a rabbi, that a, a, a holy man would actually interact in any way, talk to, be seen with, eat with, hang out with a prostitute is, is way out of culture, okay? Tax collectors. You think you're bothered by tax collectors now? You think they bug you now? Back then, they were total thieves. Now, there's kind of thieves. They were complete thieves before. I mean, they were just blatant thieves before. 
and Jesus was hanging around with prostitutes. And then he, then uh, when there was a, when there was lepers, it was like you know unclean, unclean. You don't touch a leper, man. Come on, you're gonna be unclean if you touch a leper. What did Jesus do? He touched lepers. I mean, it was like, don't step over that line. 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 You know what I mean? I am the law, Jesus said. I, I, I am here to fulfill the law. I am. I am. I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus Christ isn't God and never claimed to be God, or they wouldn't be running around with stones all the time, misunderstanding. And that's the answer you get. They misunderstood him. Holy moly. What an ignorant, what an ignorant response to the culture, understanding culture of that time to say that they misunderstood him over and over and over again. He was a part of the culture, but he was not bound by culture. He was not bound by culture. He was not bound by time. He was not bound by economic status. He was not bound by race. And he was not bound by political affiliation. Jesus transcends culture. Doesn't matter what culture, where it is, he transcends it. He can, he can embrace. He can help people to see. He can enter into any culture, and any culture can accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether it's a, it's a pygmy tribe in Africa or a, or, or a group of people right here in Cincinnati. Present the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, no matter what culture you come from. Jesus Christ transcends culture. He transcends culture. And he gives us a great example. The humanity of Christ gives us a great example of how we should live our lives. That's encouraging. But there's also a problem. When we view Jesus only through the incarnation, we are left with only part of the picture of who God is. When, when we, without a proper view of his deity, our understanding is skewed. Our understanding is incomplete. The result, my friends, is a Jesus that is little more than a kind, compassionate, nice, humble human who is shaped into whatever we choose to, sh whatever way we choose to shape him, into whatever image we choose to put him that suits us. That usually turns out, honestly, to be a more liberal Jesus. Honestly. That, you know, we want him to fit into what we want him to fit in. So, you know, this nice, sweet, you know, kind, whatever, just human Jesus in a sense. You know, we kind of, we know, yeah, yeah, he's, he's God and everything. But let's focus our attention on this part. We end up with this, with this person that can be shaped the way we want to shape him. And it usually, like I said, turns out to be more of a, of, of a, a liberal Jesus. Someone who's nice, but he, 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 when it comes to standing up for himself, when he came to earth, he basically, when he came to earth, he didn't really stand up for himself. He got pushed around, and in the very end, he took one for the team. That's it. That's kind of the concept that so many Christians have when it comes to Jesus Christ. It, not power, he's not powerful. He's weak. He's weak. And most of the time, he sat around singing Kumbaya and crying with his 12 friends. You know what I mean? Come on. Let's, come on, let's get together again and just... Just weep for no reason. You know what I mean? Jesus wept. What a nice guy. I don't know about you, but that view of Jesus does not inspire or motivate me to pick up my sword and charge the mountain, which is what we have to do a lot of the times as Christians, to stand up, to have spiritual discipline. That view of Jesus Christ doesn't encourage or inspire me to grab my sword and fight for my faith, to live for my faith, to stand up for my faith. I, that, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't make me feel empowered to, to, to transform lives. Doesn't try to, doesn't make me feel empowered to fight injustice. That view of Jesus is not powerful enough to be worshipped 
And therein lies the problem with some of our churches today. That view that I just described of Jesus Christ, that just view of the humanity of Christ without the, 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 the melding together of the deity of Christ is not powerful enough to be worshipped. Maybe that's why we don't worship God the way we should on Sunday mornings. I'm not just talking about a Grace Chapel. I'm talking about churches all over the country, all over the world. Maybe that's why we don't worship Jesus as we should on Sunday mornings and all throughout the week. All throughout the week. Because that is not powerful. That is not going to motivate me. That God is not big enough to be worshipped. It's not, he's not powerful enough to be feared or loved or obeyed. Obeyed. To fulfill his commands. You know, I can take him or leave him. What's poor Jesus going to do about it anyway? You know what? He's lucky we're here in the first place. He's just lucky we're here. He just, you know, you know, he's lucky we come to church at all. You know, I believe my friend Anne Marie sometimes has a better understanding of Jesus Christ than many Christians do because she reads her Bible, she comes to the conclusion of who Jesus is, and she reacts negatively and aggressively against it. That makes sense. When you understand what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, when you're faced with the truth of Jesus Christ, there's always a reaction. Jesus is never neutral. Never neutral. When you understand who he is, when you have the whole picture together and you grasp that concept, it's not, you're not neutral. It's not a neutral thing. Our misguided modern church view of Jesus explains our passionless, weak, lazy, cowardly nature of many churches today that want to talk, we'll wanna, we, we want to we talk about Jesus, we want, we, wanna, we, want to, we want to have conversations about Jesus, but we don't want to submit to the commands of Jesus. It's okay to talk about him. Don't get too worked up, pastor. I'm not sure I like this church, Grace Chapel. This guy gets too worked up over Jesus. He's talking too much about the power of Jesus. He's talking too much. He's, he, they actually have a cross behind him. Holy mackerel. How culturally offensive that we would put up a cross in the church because we, wouldn't wanna, because we certainly don't want anyone not to come to Grace Chapel because you might see a cross and get offended. Holy mackerel. Where have we gone? Jesus Christ is fully God, and Jesus Christ is fully man. And I'm telling you right now, my friends, Christians need to get their, get their heads on straight, get their hearts on straight, and get back to understanding of who he is. Many Christians show up to worship him when it's convenient, when it's convenient, and it doesn't interfere with the real priorities in their lives. I'll go this Sunday, but maybe not that Sunday, because... It's just not convenient. I gotta, we gotta, l let's be honest, okay? Priorities. You know, when I was a, when I was a young um, Christian, I just became a Christian, and I come, you know, I, I go to church on Sunday morning, but I wouldn't go to church on Sunday night. And I'm not saying you have to go to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and whatever else. But I remember my youth pastor said, why aren't you coming there on Sunday nights? And I said, well, <laughs> are you serious? This football game's on. I laughed at him. I was like, you know, you have to understand, brother. I mean, for 18 years of my life, priorities. And that's what he said to me. He looked me right in the face. He looked me right in the face, and he didn't say anything else. He said, mm, priorities. And he walked away. Darn if I came to church every Sunday after that, because I was like, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. I, 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 like, I like football, I like sports, I like this, I like that, I like all these other things, I like my activities, I like my whatever, you, you put it in place. I'm not just picking on sports, I love sports. But he said priorities, priorities. If we want to have a balanced vision of Jesus Christ, then we need to fully appreciate and love the humanity of Christ. 
at the same time, we need to stand in awe of his glory and his majesty and his grace as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as creator and deliverer and healer and sustainer and redeemer and warrior and warrior of who he truly is. We need to understand both of those things. We need to bring them together, that he sits on his throne and rules and reigns for all eternity. We need to bring all those things together to get a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Having a God out there somewhere is not going to help you. I believe in God. So what? You know what the Bible says? James says, they said, you believe in God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's what the Bible says. You believe there's one God. (laughs) Wonderful. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons have more belief in God than you do. The demons have more faith in God than you do. But they're missing some one ingredient when it comes to salvation. Knowledge, belief, and obedience. They're They're missing obedience. And you know what? So are we. So, so are we sometimes. So are we. Jesus is the greatest figure who ever walked the earth. Jesus is the greatest man, fully God and fully man, who ever walked the earth. And every single one of us here needs to make a decision. We need to make a choice. If we ignore him, we need to weigh the consequences of our choice. If we choose to follow him, then we need to weigh the responsibilities of that decision. Jesus is never neutral, my friends. He's not neutral. Don't walk out of here saying, well, he, I, I believe Jesus was a nice guy and he was a sweet guy and he was a prophet and he was, he was a good teacher. Jesus is not neutral, okay? He's, not, he's, he's, he's either fully God and fully man or he's none of the things I just described. Neutral is equal with being lukewarm. You know what happens to people who are lukewarm in the book of Revelation? Jesus, and you've heard this before, I'm going to say it again is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Those are your choices. He's not a good man if he lied. He's not a good teacher if he's a lunatic or a liar. He's not a good prophet, he's not a good anything if he's a lunatic and a liar. Jesus clearly said he was God. If he's not God, he's a liar, he's a lunatic. And a bunch of other lunatics, for some reason, ate some mushrooms, got all weirded out, saw him rise from the dead, and wanted to follow him, give their lives for him. But Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. If we choose to follow him, listen to this. If you choose to follow him, be prepared for the ride of your life. Be prepared for the ride of your life. He he brings out the best in us, and he transforms the worst. There are so many people who go to this church that started coming two, three, four, five, six years ago who have been totally transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. They've given their lives to Christ, and he, he brought out the best in them, and he transformed the worst in them. He turned their lives completely around. They are not who they were before. He gives us the strength to overcome everything we've, any obstacles that may be in our way and the strength to walk through this life regardless of what you're going through. Jesus Christ gives you the strength to get through this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a power far beyond what anything the world can throw at us. Let me throw this out to you. You know what? Because I hear this all the time. People say, oh, I can never, I can never. It'll never happen because... Genetically, I'm, like, I'm just like my mother. I'm just like my father. Genetically, I have all these things in my life that cause me to blah, 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 blah. So genetically, I'm this way. In my environment, I grew up over here, and I grew up over there, and you don't understand all the things I grew up, so I have environment, I have genetics that are going against me. Let me tell you what you have going for you, okay? 
They say you have a tendency to be like your mother or your father or your uncle or whatever these kind of people are, your grandfather. You have a tendency to be like them. Let me tell you the truth. You have a tendency to be like Jesus Christ if you accept Christ into your life because genetics and environment are no match for the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ in your life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Genetics and environment don't have a chance against the power of Jesus Christ. That is the God in whom which I speak. That is the God in whom which I t- we're talking about this morning. We're, talk- we're not talking about some, some ooh, blonde-haired flowing guy who hovers along the ground and never would do anything and throws roses. Ooh. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about God. We're talking about the God of Old and New Testament. That's Jesus Christ. You say, why is the God of Old Testament different than the God of New Testament? He's not. Jesus was before all things, created all things. Anything that happens in the Old Testament, Jesus was the one that chose it to happen. He is God, my friends, and he can transform your life. This isn't a game. This isn't a religion. This is a relationship with a living God. I've proven to you over the last eight weeks that God exists, but that is not enough. Who is the God is the next question. I believe with all of my heart that I have at least proven to you that the God of the Bible is the God in which I speak that is the true and one and only God. And Jesus Christ is his son. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 7, it says, God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, every one of us, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth and believe that in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will have eternal life with him. My friends, God, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to earth to bring us back into a relationship with a holy God, sinful man, back into a relationship with a holy God. He reaches one hand down to us and he holds on tight and he reaches another hand up to God and he holds on tight and he has bridged the gap between a holy God and sinful man, between a holy God, God the Father, and us. That's what Jesus Christ has come to do. He is the mediator between God and man. If you, you know, I, I've talked about this. We talked about God over and over and over, the existence of God. This morning, I want to introduce you to that God. I want to invite you. I want to invite you into a relationship with that God. If you believe that God is who he said he was, if that God is real, that he created all things, and you believe that God's son, Jesus Christ, is who he said he is, and, and then I want you to bow your heads and just bow your heads and right now. If you believe that's true, that there is a God, and that his son is Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you want to enter into a relationship with that God, not some religion, you're not joining the church, you're not joining a religion, I'm talking about a relationship between you and God, then pray this prayer with me. God, I want you to be part of my family. I'm sorry, God, I, I, I want to be part of your family. I want you, Lord God, in my life. I want to be adopted into your family. I want to have a relationship with you. God, I may not understand it all yet, but I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I want to listen to him. You said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I want to listen to him. 
that's your prayer, pray it with me. I want to listen to him. I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. God, I don't need a Bible or any pastor to tell me I'm a sinner. I know that already. I ask you to forgive me for my sins and give me a new life. Let me start over again. All the things I've done in my past, all the things that are making me feel guilty and overwhelmed and weighed down, I pray that you'd forgive those things, wipe them clean, wipe my slate clean, let me start fresh. Wash me, Lord God. Wash all those away that I might be as white as snow, clean before you. God, I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me become more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. It's going to be a long walk. It's going to take me years, Lord, to be like him, but help me to become more and more like him each and every day. Father, I pray that you would truly move in each of our lives. For those who truly need to see you in a new light, we've gotten off the path. We need to rededicate our lives to you. We need to renew our lives, Lord God, in you as believers. Pray that you would work in our hearts to bring about that transformation, that renewal. Lord God, for those who prayed that prayer, angels in heaven are singing. There's rejoicing. There's true rejoicing in heaven because those who did not know you now know you and have a relationship with you, and we praise you for that. And God, we praise you for this time that we can spend together and ask that you would bless each one. Father, help us to see the reality of who you are and who your son Jesus Christ is in our lives, both fully God and fully man. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. If you would, before you leave, for those of you who prayed that prayer with me, um, I would like to give you a, a gift, a Bible, a book that I think will be very helpful for you and kind of next steps. So as, we, as we, we leave, if those who prayed that prayer would just come forward, I have these books I'd love to give you and get you on you know, another good step on your spiritual journey. Have a great week.